Alrighty. Well, it's my blessing and privilege to introduce Randall Baker to um, preach this morning. How many of y'all know Randall, who he is? Have you heard him preach at the Awakening before? Raise your hands. All right. How many of you know Katie Johnson? All right. This is her dad. All right. So uh, Katie's amazing. It's a large part because Randall and Joy uh, are amazing parents. But Randall's been a really good friend uh, to Jessica and I in these past recent years. Um, he is a confidant and a person who loves the Holy Spirit. And so he, they live in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. One of the things I love about Randall is he's faithful and he loves the word. Uh, this guy is a word addict. And so as a result, he hears from God a lot. He follows the Holy Spirit. It's just what the word does in your life. And, and so I, I admire that. When people have the, the word hidden in their heart, and Randall does, and uh, that's why I just have uh, great confidence that this is going to be from the Holy Spirit, and it's going to bless you. So, Randall, come on up, man. Hey, guys. We love this church. I mean, I just love coming to worship here. Uh, you guys have become a great family and kind of our home away from home. And I'm excited that my grandson is going to grow up in this church. Aren't, aren't you guys excited about the fact that you can raise your kids, you can be part of this fellowship where God is honored, not just on Sunday morning, but in your love for each other. And there's a genuineness here that I've felt since I've been coming that is amazing. Uh, you guys are real in front of each other. And uh, it's what I've heard about this church often as I've gone around. So uh, I just wanted to thank you, Travis, for the opportunity to be able to speak before you guys. Yeah. So uh, my sermon this morning is on expectation and surprise. That's the main theme. And uh, my mom tells a story. She's 87 years old. She was here uh, when I preached the last time. She couldn't come this time. 87 years old. But when she was a young girl in Birmingham, Georgia... Her uh, father uh, worked and was fairly regular about when he would come home. About 5.15 every day he would come home, he would take a walk, and then he would, uh, they would sit down for dinner as a family. And one day, her dad did something unusual. He brought home a box, and it was right before Christmas. And so she looked up. She was a young girl. She looked up, and she said, Daddy, that's my present for Christmas, isn't it? He goes, no, Susie, that's not your present. She said, no, it must be because... You bring me a present every year, and that must be my present for Christmas. Well, the next morning, the box was wrapped and underneath the tree. And so she was so excited. She'd pick up this box, and she'd rattle it. and wasn't much rattle to it, but it was super heavy. And so Christmas rolled around, and she opened up the box. And you might have guessed it, but it's just a box of mortar, just cement. And she had pestered her father so much that he decided that he would wrap this present. Now, her expectation was that that was going to be an amazing Christmas gift, and she opened it first, right? Does God ever do that to you, that sometimes that you have an expectation and then the surprise is not what you thought? Maybe sometimes, right? Maybe sometimes. But a lot of it depends on what our expectation is of the Lord. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to discuss out of the Word what, what we should look at 
as far as our expectations of what God can do with us, for us, what we can do for him, and the surprises that we get from that. So I'd like to open up to John 1, verses 1 through 5, as you guys are turning. See, we can bring it up, yeah? And verse 14. And uh, just as you guys are turning there, let me just do an introduction to this. I spent, no, really started in John again in my personal quiet time uh, about January and spent about four months in John working all the way through it with the timing that I would finish that about the time Easter rolled around. And what happens in my quiet time is if I take a long time in one segment of, of Scripture or a book, God will reveal themes from that that I don't normally see. And so when I talk to Travis about potentially um, speaking in this church, I realized that this was kind of a bubbling up, a subject that, that was bubbling up for me about expectation and surprise. And so this is not necessarily the usual sermon that you'll read out of these six verses. But let's go to John 1, 1 through 5 and 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. And without him, not anything was made that was made. In him was the life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines into the darkness, and the darkness could not overcome it. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, down in verse 14. So how would you define expectation from this part of the word? An expectation is something that you would expect. It's something that you would look for and you would say, okay, God, you're going to act in this particular way. Maybe, you're, maybe you've acted in this way or maybe they're, um, God, that, that I need you in this particular area of my life. And so I have an expectation of what you would be, how you would interact with me. A surprise is, is that when God acts in a way that is not an expectation for you, um, Maybe he even disappoints you in something, uh, but, or maybe he exceeds your expectation. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pull three biblical truths out of this set of Scripture, and I want you guys to, uh, to be with me as we walk through this Scripture to see uh, what the expectation might be in some of this Scripture and what the surprise might be. In John 1 through 3, God is bigger than we can comprehend. Do you know that the Jews, back then when John had read this, had written this uh, scripture, the Jews were looking for a Messiah. And the prophets, back four or five hundred years beforehand, had spoken, really all the way back into Abraham, had spoken of the one, the anointed, that would come and fulfill all of their expectations. And what they were looking for is they were looking for a... Savior. They were looking for a, someone that would take over the Roman officials and be able to relieve them from the suffering that they had as a nation because the Jews had, been, had suffered for so many years. And so what happened is, is that when Jesus first appeared on the scene publicly, he went to John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was told, even though John the Baptist was a relative, uh, his mother and uh, Mary were cousins, right? Uh, even though that that was the case, it was obvious that he had, never, he had never met his Savior. And so he was told, as he was baptizing in the wilderness, that when the Spirit falls on this man, that is the anointed. And so Jesus came 
walked down to the water, he baptized him, and the Spirit fell on him. Do you think he was surprised by that? Two of the disciples that were John's disciples saw Jesus. I think it was uh, Philip went to him and asked the most amazing question. He said, uh, Jesus, actually Jesus asked Philip, what do you seek? And Philip got it right. He probably was thinking, well, what should I say to Jesus? And he said, well, I'd like to know where you live. (laughs) And is that a question that we ask? And so he had had the opportunity to be able to spend the afternoon with some of the disciples at uh, at Jesus' house. And Andrew went home to his brother, Simon Peter, who it appears wasn't there that afternoon, and said, we found the Messiah, the anointed one, who's called the Christ. And what happens in the word is, is that Messiah is the, is the uh, Jewish word for anointed, the anointed, right? And Christ is the Greek word. So it'd be like saying, he's my friend. If I'm a Spanish-speaking person, he's my amigo, which be, would be translated, he's my amigo, uh, my friend, translated. So it means the same thing, anointed and Messiah. Anointing is a, is a concept that was true in the Old Testament, all through the Old Testament. Kings were anointed, priests were anointed, prophets were anointed with oil. But the true anointed, the one that they were looking for, was Jesus. And so what happened is, is that the disciples weren't exactly sure what they, what they were looking for. So God was much bigger than they expected. I've got an example here. I've got a box I brought with me. You ever heard the, the term that we put God in a box? You ever heard that term? We put God in a box? Can you put God in a box? No, obviously not. God can't be contained by any, any structure as large as we would think. But what happens is when we say that we're putting God in a box, what we're doing is, is we're saying that we have expectations that would limit what we believe that God would do in our lives. And what happens is the surprise is when God operates outside of that box. My son John uh, was a missionary in Taiwan for a year. Uh, Before that, when he was growing up, he um, had uh, prayed for his friends when he was in football. And uh, he loved these football players that he was with. And one of them was another name of a, a guy was John. He was over at our house a lot. And John had witnessed, my son John had witnessed to this other football player a number of times in his life, had laid out the gospel for him, and John had never, had never, uh, John, my, 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 John Catone is his name, had never accepted the Lord. And so my son was crushed by that and had prayed about it and decided that one time he would fast for five days. And uh, he was actually with Katie uh, for a meal and, of course, he wasn't eating. And Katie said, well, what's up? You know, why are you not eating? And he had to confess that he was in the middle of a fast for his friend. And so they went out to the car, and they prayed for John Catone. And believe it or not, we took him to a, an event called Creation. And John Catone, my son's friend, accepted the Lord. Now, John, my son, decided that's the way that Jesus works. It's going to work. So he has a roommate in college. He fasted for five days got together with his friends and prayed, guess what happened? That roommate went with his girlfriend for the weekend and uh, didn't accept the Lord even after (laughs) 
So what happens is, is that our expectation is, is that God would act in a certain way, that he would do that over and over again. But God is much bigger than that. He's got a much bigger plan. He's way outside of our expectations. So the second point is God pursues you. You look in uh, verses 4 and 5 and you find that uh, God was the light and the light of men and that the darkness, uh, that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness could not overcome it. And when I first read those words, I thought that it really meant that God was shining into a, a realm or a, or, or a city but it's really, if you look on down uh, further in, the, in the, the, uh, the part of John, it's really talking about personally that we have a darkness in our life that God pursues. And so when he shines light into that darkness, the darkness cannot overcome it. Yeah. And so God pursues you. You know, the, the word says, Second uh, Chronicles 16.9 says that the Lord looks to and fro throughout the earth so that he might strongly support those whose hearts are completely his. Isn't that a great verse of scripture? That he looks to and fro. It's like, actually the picture is like a dog sniffing in the dirt. That the Lord is looking to and fro so that he might find those whose, whose hearts are completely his. God is pursuing you even now. The reason why you're here partly is, is that there are dark places in your life and God is pursuing your entire life so that you might be fulfilled through him and in his purposes. I went on the, uh, I went on the awakening uh, man venture. Is that what we called it? Man venture. So for a 60-year-old guy to go with a bunch of millennials out in the, in the, in the, the wilderness is, a, is an odd experience for a guy who was an Eagle Scout. Like, you know, Judge is telling me, my son-in-law is telling me, well, we're just going to drop a pin and go to this campsite. I'm like, well, what's a pen? <laughs> First of all, for a guy that doesn't have a cell phone that uses it for that type of activity. And, uh, and what happens if the cell phone's not working? You know, what happens if you don't have service in that area? But anyway, I had an opportunity to go out with the guys, and uh, it was a great event. And for me, I love that because I got to spend time with uh, each of the folks there and hear their stories of how God had pursued them. And there are a couple of people here I've, I've gotten their permission to tell the stories. First is Clint Watson. Clint's in the back somewhere. Clint, you want to hold your hand up? Clint, uh, I approached Clint and I said, so how did God, how did God, uh, how did you come to know God? And he said, well, Randall, I was living a life that, uh, that um, wasn't honoring of him. I was in a bad relationship. Uh, I had uh, a business that was doing fine, but he said, you know, on the outside, everything would look fine, but he said, I know I was living for myself. And uh, he said he knew that if he were to go to hell at that time, or if he were to die at that time, he'd be going to hell. And one night he went out and, uh, and had kind of a wild night of partying. He woke up. He didn't even remember driving home. He just told me he used to drive drunk a good bit. Goes out to his car. He finds a bunch of vomit in his car. It's okay, Clint. I, I got your permission, right? <laughs> And he, that's right, it's too late now. So he says, he asked two questions. He said, Lord, you must have me here for a reason because I should have died last night. You must have me for here for a reason. Why do you love me? 
And let me tell you, when you ask those questions of the Lord, what you're going to find is he'll answer those questions. So his now wife and friends had given him a book um, by Rick Warren, The Purpose Driven Life. And Rick lays out in that book the plans that God has for people in their lives. And in the middle of it, right in the middle of it, there's a section that lays out the gospel. And Rick asks the question of the readers, and he asks the question of Clint, um, are you going to make a decision for me? Are you going to choose to believe this gospel? And what Clint told me that day on that camp out is, is that he thought it was plausible, that it might be true, and he knew that he was miserable. And so he made a decision to believe it, which is kind of a half step of faith, right? But what happened is, is that God changed his life, blessed his business, and now he's got a beautiful wife and two kids, right? Can we give a hand to the Lord for that story? We've got uh, Gray sitting over here. Is this Kaler? All right, I haven't met Kaler. Kaler's his wife. Um, I uh, heard a story about Gray. Gray grew up in Elberton, Georgia, which is a special place for us. Uh, Elberton is the granite capital of Georgia. Who's ever been? <laughs> yeah, you don't really want to admit if you've been to Elberton. Sorry, buddy, <laughs> for your hometown. In any case, in any case, uh, Gray grew up maybe going to church occasionally, but he said about 10, by the time he was about 10 years old, his family never went to church, so he really didn't have a lot of background in the Lord. And uh, as, as Gray got older, he started getting into some drug use, um, was taking some psychedelic drugs. I got your permission to say this, right? <laughs> Too late now. And what he realized is, is that the more he, had, he took these drugs, these psychedelic drugs, that he was beginning to lose his ability to be able to think rationally. What would happen is, is that he would have these flashes in his, in his mind where even though he wasn't on the mushrooms that he was on, he was seeing these things and he knew he was losing control and he's like, God, I've screwed up. That's what you said, right? God, I have screwed up. And so uh, a couple in this church, Stuart and what's Stuart's wife's name? Yeah, they had uh, invited him to a, to a retreat and uh, he was in the, in the uh, audience in a worship service. And he began to just say, God, I, I love you. You know, God, I love you. I want you. I love you. And what he didn't realize is, is that, that in, the, in the worship time, that just got louder and louder and louder. <laughs> now, he was in his own world with the Lord, which is a great place to be, right? Yeah. Went forward, and uh, people were praying for him. And now this is a little bit challenging to believe, but you got to believe this man at his word. He said God gave him a psychedelic experience of him. Is that amazing? It is amazing. So what happened is, is God communicated to him in a way that he would truly understand his presence. And now, happily married, off of drugs. It didn't happen right away, but he struggled with it a bit, but how off of drugs and a super successful career. Both of them are nurses. Almost, right. Graduating in a day and a, at the end, in, the, in a week, and then you're at the end of the semester or something like that, right? Yeah, let's hear that, Stan. <laughs> See, what happens is that God has a plan for your life. God is pursuing you right now. He says that there is darkness in your life. There are things that, that he wants for you, and he has a great plan for your life. And you can know 
that when you're here in this, in this room or when you're out on the streets, whoever you are, whatever you've done, wherever you've been, if you've got God in this little box saying, you can't touch me, believe me, the box is much larger than that. He cares about you. He knows everything about your life. Third point, God has a plan. And the word became flesh and tabernacled amongst us. Tabernacle is where there was a feast where the Jews would go out into the wilderness. They would build a booth and they would, they would uh, commune with God. See, the Jews, the, the rulers of the time, the Pharisees, they didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And how could they have missed that? How could they have missed that plan? Well, he didn't fit in the box that they had for him. They expected that they would see a king, a ruler. And here, this young, this, uh, this young baby was born in a manger. Uh, the, uh, grew up basically as a carpenter. Uh, and, then, uh, and then they missed the parts of the scripture where it says that he was a suffering servant and he would die. They missed that. Or did they? Nicodemus came at night to him and said, what is it that I have to do to obtain eternal life? And he said, well, you have to have living water. And I have that water for you. So not all of the, not all of the rulers missed him. Some of them understood that there was a plan. And they got on board with that. And so when the disciples saw Jesus die, and then three days later that they had promised, that he had, that he had promised them that he would come back to life, the plan was is that they would be able to live in the Holy Spirit after he was risen for the rest of their lives and on into eternity. And so God has a plan for you. And how do we, how do we as Christians uh, look and say, how do we find that plan? Well, first, it's in the Word. So if you've, got your, if you've got your Bibles and you're in your Word, if the Word of God is open, God is speaking to you, right? And I preached on that the first time I came here, that when the Bible is open, God's speaking to you. You know that that's a plan. But you know, also it says in the Word that the Holy Spirit, when, and, and I think it's John 14 or 15 in the discourse uh, when he's in the upper room, he said, I'm going and I'm going to send you a Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will bring you into all things will give you all things, will we'll remind you of all things. And do you ever just say to Jesus, like when you're journaling and you're like, God, is that true? Is it true that I can learn all things? Now, he was saying this to the group of disciples. And so the Holy Spirit, through his word and through other means, can be able to impress upon you what his plan is for your life and for this church and for this city. And you guys can get on board with that. That's the surprise. Jesus was... Uh, in the temple for, uh, for Passover and made a decision that he was going to walk from, um, from Jerusalem to, to uh, Galilee. And the normal way to walk from Jerusalem to Galilee was to go east across the Jordan River and go north so that he would bypass Samaria. But Jesus had an appointment with a woman at a well. And he decided that he would go, he must go, is the way the, the, the scripture reads, he must go north. And he met this woman at the well, and she was alone there, because it was a time of the day when people didn't gather water. And he said to her, uh, can you give me some water? And she said, well, uh, 
I'm not used to someone coming to me. I'm, I'm, I'm a woman. Most, most men don't talk to me. Um, I'm looked down in society. Uh, and, and, but certainly, I, I'd give you some water. And, and, and Jesus said, but if you understood who you were talking to, you'd be asking for living water from me. Now, he said, go find your husband. And, and she said, well, I don't have a husband. And he said, well, you did well because you actually have had five husbands and the, and the man you're living with now is not your husband. First time I read that, I really thought, well, um, this is a loose woman. Jesus is trying to go there, trying to take care of her. But if you really look at the, at the context of that, it's possible that she had been divorced four times by men where she had very little to do with it, maybe nothing to do with it. And in that society... The women, when they didn't have a husband, couldn't provide for themselves. And so she needed physical help. And you know what happened is, Jesus stuck around for a day or two. She went back into the city, and she said, well, first of all, <laughs> she, she said, you know, we're looking for this Messiah. I, I perceive you're a prophet. We're looking for this Messiah who's called the Christ. And the surprise was, I am he. Now, can you imagine being a woman, low in society, Jesus had approached you, and suddenly the Messiah, the anointed one, the expected one, the one that was spoken of for prophets and hundreds of years was standing before you claiming to be that person. She went back into the town, and she said to the people in the town, I think we found the Messiah. Now, do you think she got some credibility? Maybe a little bit, but you know what happened is Jesus stuck around. And what does it say later in that, in John 4? that many people came to know him through that experience. What happened to that woman? She basically probably got elevated in society. Let me tell you, Jesus wants what's best for you in your life. Jesus has an appointment for you in your life. I am telling you that one of those appointments might be now for you uh, this Sunday morning. I mean, there's a group of people here. I know some of the faces, but I don't know everyone here. Maybe some of you guys have never actually met him personally. I'm telling you that he died on the cross so that he could die for your sins. There's nothing too large that you've done in your life. Many people would say, I can't come to the, to the Lord. I have to clean up my act before I get there. But that's the box you've put, you've put God in, and God can't be contained in a box. You see, what happens is, is that we are able to be able to say to the Savior, Please save me for everything I've done, everything that I've, every mistake I've ever made. And when he died on that cross, he died for you and all the sins that I did and everyone will do for all of, all of uh, the future. So I'd like to say a prayer. Everybody have, bow their eyes and, and close, bow their head and close their eyes. Lord, I just uh, thank you that you had a plan for the woman at the well, that you, God, were... Um, were knew that she would be there waiting for you and in the same way you know that each and every person in this auditorium is waiting for you even if they don't know that you're coming even if they don't know that they have an appointment and so lord right now i just pray in this in this quiet moment that if there's anyone that's never met you that they would be able to say right now jesus i need you i love you the same way gray willsby did when he was so far from you the same way that clint watson said when he was so far from you. I pray, Lord, that they would be able to say that now in the strength of your spirit. 
And for those that are bowing their heads that uh, have known you but maybe have walked away from you, Lord, I pray that this will be a time that they would be able to commit to you. In Jesus' name, amen. It's a short word, but uh, I thought that would be good for this morning. So thank you very much.